0: I want to go ahead and start lesson two and this lesson of course uh, we're going to continue on on the tabernacle that God had them build in the wilderness and as we found out we all come to church and many times we have the thought process that you know this Christian church we are the ones that started church and we forget that no God started church as soon as he brought the children of Israel out of the wilderness and refers to the church which was the church building or the tabernacle that he had them build once he brought them out of Egyptian bondage. And so without rehashing uh, lesson one that we taught here Sunday morning in the first service, let's begin in Exodus chapter 25. And while I'm about to read this, we can be looking uh, below it at the picture, and I just get excited every time I look at the tabernacle or the plan of the temple. This is the plan of God. Remember this is a blueprint that God himself gave us. And we look, I think I mentioned in the first lesson, that in two chapters, God gives us the whole plan and the whole uh, creation story of the universe and all the things that we see made out of nothing into something. Spends just six days telling us how he did it. Seventh day, he rested. But whenever we get to the tabernacle, he spends 42 consecutive chapters, 42 consecutive chapters, almost a whole book. On just the blueprint to this building that you're looking at and then of course with numerous references whenever we get to the New Testament and of course as we have already mentioned it is absolutely a picture of several things it is a picture of the flesh God in the flesh his son Jesus it is a picture of the believer it's a picture of the pathway to heaven it is a picture of correct theology on the plan of salvation uh, we see where God gives him this plan after he delivers them by the blood of the Lamb, marches them to the mountain. Moses is on the mountaintop for 40 days, and there God speaks to him. And one of the reasons he is there for that 40 days is because he is giving him not only the 613 laws, the Torah, but he's also giving him this 42 chapters that he writes on the, uh, on the uh, tabernacle plan. So we're going to start here, I'm going to read this, as we look at this house with the Shekinah glory, the cloud there resting over the Ark of the Covenant in the holy place, and we recognize that the outer portion of this house is just like you would look at you and I, it's a house of skin, it's made out of badger skin on the outer covering. So this house of skin, of course, as I've said many times, takes nine months from the time that God puts it in Moses' mind until the time of completion, so from the conception to completion is nine months for the house of skin. And I covered thoroughly in lesson one about the typology of this is a picture of Christ that came to tabernacle with us. Now, while we were at the Temple Institute in Israel, uh, she actually gave us a better rendering of this verse that says God wants to dwell amongst us. She said that it is that God wanted to dwell in us. This is exactly his plan. He wants to dwell in houses of skin. I could go really deep here, but just some food for thought. When we receive the Holy Spirit, One of the things that God speaks about is one of the worst things we can do is join ourselves through the act of fornication or adultery to another vessel. And that is because, whether you believe this or not, God's living virtually through you when you receive the Holy Spirit. It's just like you put a, one of those things that they fly around now, uh, little airplanes, drones, and you can watch what's going on. You've become a drone. God is living through you. God has a purpose for your life. And so greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And then he has given you the ability to have miracle working power. And I've said it many times that if we'll live the lives the apostles lived, we'll see the works the apostles saw. For God is not a respecter of persons. And you cannot prove me wrong on that until first you live like they live. So it is a remarkable thing if we would take time to dwell on what it is that God is trying to get out of us, what he benefits from us. God who has no body except now into the intercessor through Christ before him had none he is a spirit if we stick to the scripture the scripture tells us God is a spirit no man has seen God at any time so he lives virtually through believers and we have become the tabernacle of God know you not you are the temple of God and this is why we guard our eyes we guard our minds we guard ourselves Uh, We stay joined to him. So in Exodus chapter 25, and thou shalt put the mercy seat. We have now made it to the first item of what we call furnishings that will go inside of this house-like structure or tent-like structure, later to become a permanent house called a temple. And of course this house is divided, once we get into it, into two parts. It has the holy place where we're going to have the seven-lamp candlestick, where therefore to light the way that we can do the ministering work of Christ or of God, then it will have the table of shewbread, where the 12 loaves of bread will be placed each week and changed out each Sabbath of which the priests will eat. And then, of course, we have the altar of incense. That is all within the holy place. The holy place measures uh, 2,000 cubits. It represents the 2,000 years of Christ that his reign with which he left here 2,000 years ago. Then dividing this four, por- this four, front portion two-thirds of the building. From the back third, we now pass through the veil of which only the high priest is allowed to enter in, and there the only item of furnishing is the Ark of the Covenant. And so what's interesting to note is that as we look at these things that there is no light in the holy place or in the Holy of Holies. The only light that is there is whenever the high priest is going to enter in one time a year. And of course the way that there is illumination in that room when the Shekinah glory is not sitting on the throne seated on the throne, is the fact that he takes a coal of hot incense from off the altar. Now, the altar of sacrifice, one thing I want to throw into this teaching right now is is that one of the things that God has given us is He has given us an altar. Or a place of death, a place of repentance. This is why he's willing that none should perish, that all men should come to repentance. Because one of the things we need to always remember is what you have sinned your way into, you cannot praise your way out of. That is a charismatic teaching where just because you can get some endorphins working, whether you're praising God or singing to rock and roll, does not put you back in a right standing with God. If you have sinned your way into something, don't think you're going to praise your way out of it. Repentance is the only way out of sin until you godly sorrow, until you have godly sorrow. So this, this altar on the outer courtyard that you see this large fire in the center of the courtyard, uh, what it is indicative of is should you be able to look through the only gate that you could enter into the outer courtyard, you see the white curtain walls that are portable like structure in this tent affair in the wilderness, uh, all you would see is blood and death. And this is exactly what we find out is, is we find out that To an unbeliever, that's all we can see, or to someone that's just first beginning to possibly think about serving God, all they can see is just the altar of death. They can't see anything of the beauty inside of this building of which the golden uh, articles of furnishings and the awesome tapestries with the angelic beings woven into it. And so as we take, as a high priest would walk through here, and on that Day of Atonement would go into the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant is, this altar on the outside that you see the fire burning is where he would get the shovel of incense, excuse me, the shovel of hot coals of which he would put the incense on. And so it is that shovel of hot coals that would illuminate uh, the darkness as he went behind the curtain. And so whenever Solomon finishes building the temple, we have 120 trumpeters, the like figure where in the New Testament whenever God becomes living in temples of flesh you and i there were 120 in an upper room and whenever he dedicates this temple the fire of god falls and sits upon the altar which is why we see in the book of acts on the day of pentecost that suddenly there came a sound as a mighty rushing wind from heaven and and sat upon each of them tongues of fire it was a one time sign the fire was and therefore What we notice is, is God said that he would light the fire, but it was to be eternally burning. And it is the jobs of the priest to keep it burning. I said that to say this. So if the fire on the altar went out, you could never see your way into the Holy of Holies. And so regardless of where we are in our community thinking or our current culture, uh, praise is an awesome thing. And I love it. But if you do not cleanse yourself, I'm going to say it one last time, you cannot praise your way out of what you have sinned your way into. You can appease your emotions as Saul did for a while and call for a minstrel. But God is looking, this whole plan is to show a purity of heart for people that desire to be with him that would walk through this process in order to enter into his presence. So. Uh, With that, and thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And I mentioned before that whenever you read now, when Moses goes to the top of the mountain, that you will notice that he does not write the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. God does that. And God delivers those tablets to Moses. So those of you that desire to go to Israel with us, we can show you the place where God cut those two stone tablets from. And there he wrote them, and he brought them to Moses, which is later where he will have the Ark of the Covenant set as he builds a temple and a place for his name there in Jerusalem. So we're now talking about why would God, after he gives him 42 chapters of building this house, why would the first item that he gives him to build be the Ark, and more importantly, even the mercy seat? And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment to the children of Israel. So we're going to leave this uh, overview of the picture of the outer courtyard. Uh, You'll notice that the tents yard, uh, the tent is surrounded by this large fence. Uh, When we go to the temple, later the permanent structure, it will be surrounded by a fence called the soreg, S-O-R-E-G. And it is a place that a Gentile or a non-believer cannot pass beyond. And it is the reason why in the book of Acts they threatened to stone Paul is he was accused of bringing a believer. So to come into the presence of God, he has laid out a blueprint as to how we truly do it should we desire to do so. Now, I'm not saying God won't allow you to circumvent it. I'm just expressing to you the plan of the Bible and the way he has laid it out. God can do whatever he wants. So the first thing you will notice is he has the 12 tribes camp around this in a certain particular order. And of course the tribes in front of the only way, you'll notice that there is only one gate to get in. There's only one door, which is Christ. And that door faces to the east always, and therefore the tribe of Judah camps before this, which means praise. And we use this typology many times to say that first off you come into, enter into his courts with, courts with thanksgiving, enter into his gates with praise and so this is uh, the beginning next slide please so when we look at the ark of the covenant you're looking at an artist's rendition of it and you will notice that the bottom of it uh, is shaped in a rectangular fashion almost like a miniature coffin and then the top portion which i'll call the lid is called the mercy seat that portion that almost looks somewhat like a crown with the two cherubims their wings touching and that is made out of a solid piece of gold next slide And in exodus chapter 25 verse 9 through 11 he says I want you to make this according to all that I will show you after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof even so shall you make it and they shall make an ark of shittim wood two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half the height thereof and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without Shall thou overlay it and thou shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about so I mentioned this in closing in our last lesson that this ark, that is the first item made, the reason it's the first item made is because it is representing the visible presence of God. The invisible brought visible as his glory, the Shekinah, uh, manifests itself and sets upon this throne-like portable structure. By the way, uh, whenever we look at in the book of Ezekiel, we recognize the fact that whenever God's throne is brought to the earth and he has this vision, He is brought with, it talks about the wheels, and some people have made a lot of stuff out of that. That actually, the word for wheels there is ophanim, it is a certain type of angelic being. And God's throne is portable, to where he can move throughout the earth, different places, or in the heavens. Uh, And so this portable structure, this portable throne where God's glory would sit, or where he would lead them whenever he would leave the ark, and his presence of a cloud by day pillar and a pillar of fire by night uh, would lead them so there also is the typology why did they have them make the ark first because God is before all things he created all things nothing consists without him so he starts at the beginning in the beginning God made the heaven and the earth so in the beginning of this tent like affair God is going to come first and then branch out from there. Uh, You go to Israel when you view Jerusalem, the foundation stone where the Ten Commandments were cut from, where the dust was taken to create man. Uh, In Jewish mindset, that is the first solidification of the crust of the earth, and then everything manifests itself out from there. It is called the navel of the earth. So the ark is made of two different and distinct materials. And lesson one, I. And hammered on this pretty well but uh, the reason it is is because it represents the image of God now God is invisible you've got to get that down regardless of who wants to teach you something you can't see God if you believe the Bible so anybody says they've seen God the Father well they may have seen him in the eyes of Christ but no man can see God because he's invisible The Bible repeats that time and time again so what he is doing now is he is beginning to build a typology that this religion that he is starting with his first group of people. Remember, we have uh, Joseph ends up dying in, excuse me, dying while he's in Egypt after his brethren are brought there that had sold him into slavery. And then they bring Jacob, his father, whose name is changed to Israel. And now God, and they go into bondage. They begin to call upon the Lord. He brings them out of bondage. And now he is getting ready to start his religion. He's getting ready to start the faith of Judaism or the faith of Christianity. Really, they're one and the same. It's just Christianity's Judaism that has accepted Christ. So what we see is, uh, he says, so he's sharing with us, whenever Christ comes to earth in the New Testament, the Old Testament closing out with Zechariah, and all throughout Isaiah expressing I am one, there is no other God but me, no I any, none. And he expresses to them. He says, "When I return," he says, "You're going to even before he was crucified, he prophesies in Zacharias, said you 'You're going to look upon me, whom you have pierced.'" And so, for those of us that have been taught a triune Roman godhead that came out of Roman Catholicism, that came out of the Chaldean and the Babylonian mysteries of incorrect uh, uh, idolatry. Uh, whenever they read Father and Son and Holy Spirit they came up with a three persons in the Godhead now if you've been taught that and you believe that that's your business Uh, so this ark uh, that he has them make that's going to represent God it's made out of two distinct different materials it's made out of wood which is earthly it is world earthly it has to be cut off from the land of the living to be used And if I were to express on how he is going to get them to build this ark, I'm now speaking about the box, not the lid, which is the mercy seat. He builds, out of acacia wood, he builds a wooden box. Then he builds a larger gold box, places the wooden box in it, then a smaller gold box and places it inside the wooden box. And he now has sandwiched between the gold wood. For some reason, why would God go to all this trouble? Because it is a typology of Christ who is... God made for us that's his whole plan is now not all of God could fit anywhere but he is going to be the visible manifestation and the tabernacle the house of skin of God that will forever sit at the right hand until this realm of time is over to where he'll make intercession for us because in the days of his flesh where he was tempted in all things like as you and I are God who was a spirit you cannot tempt a spirit that's why when you finally get rid of this body of death you will no longer have to go through temptation so God who robes himself in flesh and who uh, fulfills Genesis chapter 3 that comes down and so now Christ who forever stands the right hand of God he there makes intercession that because he the man understands temptation he is able to be our propitiation he is able to be the one also that comes alongside us to secure us to help us through these temptations because he now has understands temptation and therefore he makes intercession as he can understand what it's like to be human. God can't understand what it's like to be human. You can't understand what it's like to be God. Most of us don't even know where we're going when we leave this realm. We're going back. So what we see is that You cannot make wood gold, and you can't make gold wood. Two different things. In John 19 and 5, Then came Jesus wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe, and Pilate said, Behold the man. So I covered this. The Bible explicitly points out that Jesus Christ was a man, but it also explicitly points out he was God in the flesh. He had two different natures, two different roles, and therefore the reason he was crucified is he is crucified because Caiaphas says, you have made yourself God. But yet, Pilate tells us, you're just a man. Behold the man. So, that's why Jesus says to every believer, who do you say that I am? So, every believer that's listening to this, you've got to ask yourself, who is he to you? See, one-third God? See, someone you try to circumvent and get around to speak to someone else that's in charge, that even though in Acts... Excuse me, in Matthew 28, he says, All power in heaven and earth has been given to me. So if there's anyone else up there, he's the one that at his name every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. He's the only one I see coming back on the white horse. His title is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I don't know what comes before the beginning, I don't know what comes after the end. However, if you need to stick with what you've been taught, that's your business so here we go in John chapter 20 of course we know eight days after Christ was resurrected and he was seen by some of the disciples and apostles that Thomas who was the doubter declares I won't believe unless I see so Jesus just walks through the locked doors and he says come here and behold my hands and my feet now Thomas as well as all the other disciples was a Jew just as Jesus was a Jew and therefore every day he would repeat the uh, Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, the heart, and the soul. He knew there was Hero Israel, the Lord our God. Who's your Lord? The Lord our God, and it is amazing as you get your eyes more illuminated that many that call Jesus Hero Israel, the Lord. How many lords are there? The Lord our God is one, and so this teaching that many combat is what universally needs to be taught, which is the final revelatory knowledge that will fortify you as you understand in your strength who he is, that he is the manifestation of the mighty God. And that's why Thomas in verse 28 says, my Lord and my God. And so this we see the completion of as it comes to fruition in the book of Revelations Whenever Jesus came in the book, in the Gospel of John, when he manifests himself, it says he came and tabernacled amongst us. The reason I'm bringing up all these scriptures is to make the Old Testament come alive and the fulfillment of the New, and the New Testament be revealed from the fulfillment of the Old. And that is the fact that these two teachings go hand in hand. And without controversy, 1 Timothy 3.16, I don't know if you're following me or not there, Bobby. Uh, Without controversy, great is the mystery of Godliness. This is pretty plain. God was manifest in flesh. Matthew 1, verse 21 through 23. Behold, a virgin with child shall bring forth a son. So the angels tell us his name's going to be called Emmanuel. And then the angel adds, By the way, you know what that means? That means God's going to be with you. In Isaiah 9 and 6, the prophecy is made. A child will be born, a son will be given, the government will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So I have no trouble calling Jesus Father. And yet when I say that, in my understanding, I never circumnavigate the fact that he is triune in unity of his oneness. And that is the Father is the invisible spirit. But when I speak to Jesus, I'm speaking straight to God. I don't have to use any other name because there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby I must be saved. And the last time I checked, my Bible says do everything in word and deed in that name. And so I'm just simply not trying to be combative. And I recognize how most American Christians have been raised in Roman tradition. They took one step through Luther away from Catholicism and thought they had made the entire journey. But they still never got away from their mother, Rome. And so you have to go back to Jerusalem in order to go back to your roots. And so what we see is that this ark that God makes, uh, 1 Timothy, I don't know if you're on that scripture or not. I'm sorry, next next slide. So 1 John 4 and 10, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation, which means the mercy seat for our sins. Now, let me move a little further. We have expressed how the ark of the covenant is made out of two completely different Uh, substances, wood and gold. However, whenever we get to the mercy seat, which is going to be the portion that overlays and that sets on top of the box, I'm going to call it the lid. It's made out of one solid beaten piece of gold, actually a circle. Nobody knows where God's mercy begins. Nobody knows where God's mercy ends. But for a typology to understand the importance of the mercy seat, we must remember what it was that was going to go in the ark. There were three arcs in Scripture. There were the Ark of Noah, there was the Ark of Moses, and there was the Ark of the Bulrushes, and there was the Ark of the Covenant. And of course, uh, the elusive Ark of Noah they are searching for. I have pictures where some say they found it. And then of course, the Ark of the Covenant. Some believe it's here, some believe it's there, some believe it's yonder. Uh, However, what we are looking at, there was a time in the Old Testament as they would pack the Ark, somebody took the lid off, the mercy seat off, And immediately God slayed like 40,000 people because when he looked down from his throne it is seen as though he no longer was looking at them through mercy. He was looking at them through the law. I think here would be a good place for me to interject the total difference between mercy, grace, and the law. I was in a court of law 15, 18 years ago probably and uh, with a relative of mine and uh, actually a son of mine and, and he stood before the judge. And he thanked the judge for uh, the kindness that he had shown him. And the judge very sternly put his finger across the desk and looked at him and said, Let me tell you something, son. We're not in the mercy business. We're in the legal business. And I said that to say this, that the law means you're, you're guilty, you do the time. That's hard for all of us to understand, especially in the day... Or what the legal system has become in America and if you're younger you think that's the way it's always been I mean it's just unbelievable you know if you've got money what you can get away with or how long you can postpone judgment and the Bible talks about that however what I'm trying to express is is our little groups all across the world that meet try to purify ourselves we believe in the Lord we know it's only through faith but folks just to keep faith alive show me your works that's your faith And so, what we don't understand is, is when we are weighed in the balance, it's not going to be negotiation time. It's real, real simple. You're either guilty or you're not. And if you're guilty, God's a just God. Now, what's that mean? It means you're guilty. You're going to do the time. So, the mercy seat is what excites us as Christians. And this is exactly the love of God. So I do not want to paint a picture that God ever wanted to harm anyone, because that's not the facts at all. Before God ever created the heaven and the earth, you remember that he crucified already the being of the man Christ Jesus in his mind, because he's willing that none should perish. And therefore, the only people that will perish are those that are not intelligent enough to recognize they have sinned and accept the plan that God has made through this propitiation, through this mercy seat, through this covering of the law, through the flesh and the blood of the man, Christ Jesus, that paid the penalty and the price for our sins. Oh, what an awesome gift we've been given. So this tabernacle is a picture of God's approach to man. He's reaching from the mercy seat for whoever soever will. This is called grace. And God's grace designed a way for man to be reconnected to his father. Man reaching back to God is called faith, and man believing God's plan and following it is what gets us to where we want to go. Next slide. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, reading from the New Testament now, as I'm teaching Old Testament tabernacle. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And that is really hard for us to get our brains wrapped around. He's not just the anointed, but he is both Lord and anointed. There are many Christs. Many people profess to be anointed. In John chapter 14, Jesus says to them, You know what, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him. Oh, by the way, you've seen him. Philip said, well, Lord, how how can that be? How can you say I've seen the Father? Well, show me the Father. It will suffice me. I'm Jew. I know I can't see God. Jesus says, have I been such a long time with you and yet you haven't known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say then, show me the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father, and where does the Father live? dwells in me so he does the works. now this is of extreme importance as we rightly divide the Word of God because the man Christ Jesus had no ability any more so than you do Uh, anyone that tells you they have the gift of healing run from them they're very misinformed anybody that tells you they they possess some miraculous power run from them they're very misinformed because Jesus himself could do nothing It was the Father in him. It is the Spirit through us that works as he will. Uh, I'm going to say a few things here this evening. Maybe it will help uh, some of us have some understanding. Others it may offend that hear this. You never saw Jesus go to a leper colony. You never saw him make a hospital visit. You never saw him visit the home of the sick. We have so twisted In American Christianity the thought process of what a prophet or a minister is and then we wonder why we do not see the miracles we once saw but if you want to be biblical what you saw was one that passed through here came the prophet he walked through here came Christ he walked through and those that were hungry found and sought it out or requested a visit you will never find an example of what we have made ministry today. Now, that's not to take us from caring. However, what I am trying to express to you is that we would see much more miraculous manifestations if people would understand, is any sick amongst you? Let them call. And so, we want to be biblical, but yet when someone points out biblical example, many times it will not fit with what we have believed. And you know, once we believe it, it becomes truth. And then we wonder why we're stuck with what we're stuck with and so I want to point out when Jesus says it's not I that does the works it's the father in me this is exactly what he's expressing this is why when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us it comes in measure and then each day we decide who we would rather allow to live that day would we rather feed the spirit or the flesh for whichever one we feed the most is the one that will manifest It is daily a choice. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You're already the tabernacle. It's just, is there a little flicker or is there a flame? How much of the altar is on fire? I'm preaching to me now. Okay, next slide. I hope this is helping somebody. Exodus chapter 25. The Lord spoken to Moses. He said, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Every man that gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold, silver, brass, blue, purple, scarlet, ram skin dyed red, badger skin, shittim wood, oil for the light, spices, onyx, stones, stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Uh, that breastplate's interesting. Uh, I'll get into that later when we get to the high priest. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle. So that's Exodus 25, 1 through 9. Next slide. And then that should say introduction to the tabernacle. Let's go one more slide. So click it once again, Bobby, and it should say, So God commands Moses to build a tabernacle from a willing heart. Click it again, and it says the tabernacle was a movable tent of meeting. That's exactly what Christ was. He was the movable tabernacle that went from place to place. It again, God wanted to dwell amongst His people, the Israelites, in order to have fellowship with them. This is exactly what Jesus Christ did. Next slide. So, as we study the tabernacle, and of course, we're going to look at the furnishings, its each of their functions. We're going to look at them from a biblical perspective, which is called typology. Now, typology is the study of a person, a place, or an object which shall project an illustration of something that will appear in the future. This is. As I've said so many times, what the Old Testament is, the Old Testament is like looking at family snapshots and then recognizing that what has been shall be. And when we were at the uh, Temple Institute, they have the altar of sacrifice ready to go. Those of you that got that 20-page letter from me, this is exactly what I've expressed now for 25 years will happen, that the way I believe this, I can't say I know it, but to me I know it. Uh, that the last 25 years I expressed to you that we will see the altar built first and therefore that maybe before the church leaves we will see the sprinkling of the ashes of the red heifer we may even see the altar of sacrifice and the first sacrifices being offered because this is a precedent case that is laid out in the book of Ezra chapters three verses one through four whenever we look at the fact that when they came back from Babylonian captivity just as the Jews have come back today from captivity from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and their temple had been destroyed just as today their temple has been destroyed, that when they finally take authority and decide they're going to rebuild, and by the way, uh, so much I could say about that, and uh, those of you, if you have a different teacher, a different guide, or a different speaker, you'll get some different answers. The Jews never have rebuilt the temple because they never had the products and the pieces and the furnishings ready. They've been twenty six years now preparing. You saw with your own eyes, those of you that just left Israel with me. They're ready. She told you that. She told when the last time I was in Israel, the menorah, the seven lamp candelabra of gold stood in the cardo of the city, the heart of the Jewish city. It no longer sits there. It's now been moved to overlook the Western Wall. Did they tell you not where it was going to be moved to next? According to them, the next time they move it, it will be to the Temple Mount. When we were on the Temple Mount, you will notice that the guards were there and all those with machine guns and the only ones that had weapons were the Jews. They were not the Muslims. Because regardless of what nighttime news shows the Jews out of the goodness of their heart allow the Muslims right now to walk around and claim that top as for their religious site of the Dome of the Rock that was built in about 670 AD however the Jews are in charge of that Temple Mount tomorrow if they want to run everybody off of it they can and so therefore they told us the next time they move the menorah it will be to the Temple Mount I said that to say this as we are studying typology Uh, We can even, when I get into Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and to their sons, and the last ten kings of Israel, it is a typology of the final seven years here in the earth. So to understand prophecy, I must understand what has been. This totally changes our perspective on why we study the Old Testament. I study the Old Testament so I can rightly understand what's going to happen in the future. I do not study it to become a legalist, a Jew i study it to get closer to god and to understand christ the mighty god in him so uh this typology is a study of persons place or objects it's going to present an illustration of something that will appear in the future the bible defines a type as an example in 1 corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 so what we're seeing there is as they showed us this portable altar she told us oh yeah that could be taken down and moved immediately to the temple in Ezra, this is exactly what they did. They began the sacrifices long before the foundation of the temple was built. This is what I've said for 25 years will happen. We don't even have to take the dome down for them to start the sacrifices. For those of you that remember, I stood on the spot man was created and showed you where the altar was, 21.6 feet from the dome of the chain. You could put that altar up tomorrow. They can still allow the Muslims to have service as they begin their sacrifices again, and it would be halakha. It would be in alignment with the Word of God. We are so close to a new world. And that's why this world is travailing. We've never seen weather patterns. We've never seen such chaos. The news, we've become immune now to everything that happens because it's nothing good. Yet there's so many good and so much good going on. We, but the world is in what we call birth pangs because it is about to give birth to the messianic kingdom. But remember all of you women that have had a child that the worst is yet to come. <laughs> And that's exactly, and I'm not talking about the baby, I'm talking about getting the baby into planet Earth. So this is called the birth pangs, and I believe we've entered into those. Uh, I don't believe we're in the seven years, I believe we're very close. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, now all these things happen to them for examples. We're talking about typologies. Uh, so, and this is what I'm expressing. All these things happen to them for a typology, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the worlds have come, it's also called a shadow. We cannot, whenever you see the shadow of someone, you don't see all of the intricate workings, but you see the outer physique of such a thing. So in Hebrew, and this is what the Old Testament is. So in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, who served unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mouth. Uh, next slide. So the principle of typology as we continue in this is as a figure in Hebrews chapter 9 and 9 talking of the tabernacle which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. And then uh, Hebrews 8 and 5 it also speaking of us understanding typology tells us why we studied the Old Testament as a pattern. 8 and 5 who serves unto the example which means a pattern, of shadow of of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the blueprint showed thee in the mount. Now, uh, next slide. I want to stop right there and I want to interject this and I may be ahead of myself. Uh, Many people do not understand why the Jews killed a goat or a bullock or turtle doves or whatever they did. Well, they didn't understand either. Uh, And this is, I think, will really help change your paradigm. They only did what God told them to do. They didn't dream this stuff up. Because God was setting forth a pattern, a typology, a plan. And one of the misconceptions that probably I, myself, and others was under until I came into a higher knowledge was that somehow they thought by doing this there was salvation the jews never thought that they were simply being obedient to god that's a wrong paradigm that's a that's a thought you've got to get past and the reason that they set up the temple and they set up the tabernacle and did things certain ways is because this is the way god instructed them they were obedient to his instructions to the very letter of the law they didn't dream this up now why is this of such significance at this point because what we need to understand is is as he was having them offer the lamb, as he was having them offer the blood, as he was having them uh, bring the incense it was a pattern and a type of that that would be and what it actually was, in my words, was a classroom setting where he would teach them the importance of what it was he was going to perform in their midst. Now hold on because many Christians do not know that after the temple is built the sacrificial system will be inaugurated again and this is the plan of God because most of us do not understand the five types of sacrifice where that is where we fellowship with God and I've said so many times to you we actually ate barbecue with him drank wine with him ate bread with him We that's where they cooked it and gave back to us there were three fires on the top of this large altar as well as the apple dumpling which was the pile of ashes in the center but the purpose that we will then understand if we can get our brains wrapped around this is no new thing under the Sun the purpose for the sacrificial offerings then was to point to the beauty of he that was to come and the purpose of the sacrificial offerings in the future is not to eradicate the only sacrifice that ever could make atonement for sin which was the blood of the perfect lamb which was Christ Jesus but once again it will be the perfect classroom setting so that those born in the millennium in the world to come will go to class as each will be required to do and they will understand the price was paid for the freedom that they've been given. It's a classroom and when you take your lamb that you have had to live in your house with you for four days, and has done nothing bad to you, and you have to slice its jugular before it's roasted and you eat it, you oh my God! Well, unless you're a vegetarian, don't, don't give me that look. You're just such a sissy, you don't want to kill your own meat. But you're still a meat-eater. Somebody had to slay it. I'm being a little rough in your face. I'm trying to help us understand the plan of God. Because if we can ever get past what we think and try to understand what He thinks, it'll enrich our lives. So in Numbers chapter 17, the tabernacle is referred to as the tabernacle of witness. In Numbers 17 and 7, and Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness acts 7 and 44 and our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed speaking to Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen what is a witness because we just read where these were witnesses Moses did these things in the tabernacle as witnesses well a witness is a person who can give a first-hand account of an event as they saw or heard what took place I really don't know how many of y'all have been involved in court I got to take the witness stand for the first time here 40 60 days ago somewhere like that as a witness and can I express to you that unless you saw it firsthand heard it with your own ears you're not a witness you're not even allowed to speak we really aren't interested in what someone told you we only want to know facts and people can certainly change those so did you see it Well, no, you're not a witness. Did you hear it? No. Well, you're not a witness. And so what God is expressing is what they did, they witnessed about this tabernacle, and they witnessed to the fact that God's glory met with them here. So we are reading in our Bibles the witness of the Lord. When you stand up to testify, what you are to give is your testimony, your witness of what happened to you. This I know. This happened to me. And so this is what the tabernacle is all about. So as we look at the three arcs in Scripture, Noah's Ark, uh, next slide, Bobby, Moses' Ark, Ark of the Covenant, all three arcs speak of salvation and protection. I'm not going to walk through each one of those, but while you're looking at those on the screen, I want to say it again. Noah's Ark, all three arcs speak of salvation and protection. Moses' Ark, we're speaking about the Ark that his mother made placed him in that Ark of bulrushes, placed him in the crocodile-infested Nile, Saltwater crocs kill an amazing number of thousands of people per year. Cobras kill over 30,000 people a year. That's phenomenal. To put a little baby in a croc infested Nile and then to see what God could do, that's faith. And of course, God being just, what a man sows he shall reap. And Pharaoh, who was drowning the babies, ends up drowning in the Red Sea so all three of these even the final Ark of Scripture the Ark of the Covenant speak of salvation and protection the Ark of the Covenant is our salvation now don't anyone misinterpret what I'm saying I'm speaking in typology because the Ark of the Covenant simply was the place where the blood was applied The ark was the place where the kind of glory of God dwelled. The ark was the place that was the covering for the law and God's mercy was seen. So all three of these arks were a type of salvation and protection. Next slide. So the ark of the covenant represents the throne of God on earth. The presence of God the glory of God and the fullness of God next slide and we have read this before he says put the mercy seat above the ark Exodus 25 verse 21 and 22 next slide uh, we are looking here now at a drawing an artist rendition of this ark of the covenant and you see that in front of the ark there is a partial artist rendition of a veil and then on my side of the veil is a little four-horned altar of gold. This is where the incense is offered. It's in the holy place. And so we see now where the ark sat in a 10 by 10 by 10 cubit room of gold. 1,000 cubits representing the 1,000 millennial reign, year reign of Mashiach, Messiah, Christ in the earth. And we see where the glory came down and sat on that ark Next slide. So when we look at the glory of the Lord, Exodus chapter 40, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now that's Exodus chapter 40. Let's jump as a typology. Let's jump now to its counterpart, and let's jump to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So one of the things that I major on, because I am big on this, I really feel like most church people have not placed Jesus in the correct position in their faith. He is the one who sits on the throne. He is the one that's coming back. He is the one that said all things were made by me and for me and does not anything exist that consists. He is the one that says I am the olive, I am the top. And yet that confuses us if we have been taught a Roman God situation because we don't understand the plan of God, that God wanted to dwell amongst us and the invisible become visible. And so as we read through the Scriptures now, chewing on this newfound revelation and combating what we have to unlearn to just give a fair shake to try to relearn, but let me express this. You'll not get there with your head. You need to go to God in prayer that He illuminates Scripture to you because Jesus Himself said, no man knows the Father. I'm quoting our Lord and no man knows the Son. He says, and no man knows the Father except to whom the Son will reveal him. And this is exactly what Christ did when he walked in the locked room with Thomas and he revealed himself to Thomas. This is exactly what he did when he was speaking to Philip. He says, have I been so long with you? Go get the book, The Five Great Religions. Christianity was at that time, 20 years ago when I checked it out, and we used libraries uh, in the top five. Now it is a dwindling religion. Muslims is the growing religion. That ought to tell you something. And the writer of that book who had no interest in any one of particular of the five great faiths said Paul was the first one that wrote that expressed the understanding that Jesus was God come in the flesh. And I thought, here's an atheist got this. And church people don't. And this is why Paul, when I stood on Mars Hill and we were in Athens. And we begin to look at what it was he faced and he says, I see that amongst all men you are most superstitious for I see here a marker unto the unknown God. He says, him let me express to you. And he begins to preach Jesus. There's no new thing under the sun. So in Hebrews 1 and 3, who being the brightness of his glory, now what am I talking about? I'm talking about the cloud covered the tent, filled the tabernacle who being the brightness of His glory and the expressed image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Now that doesn't mean God had His right hand out and He sat on it. That is a Hebrewism, for he's On the power of God, Thy right hand, O God, is all glory. It's just one throne. And so all of a sudden... The angels that all these years have worshipped, the Shekinah, the glowing image, the rainbow round about the throne, the electrical particles of life that emanated from the throne, suddenly an image sat down. And begin the angels begin to gather around and cry, holy, 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 holy. The Lamb. John 1 and 14, and the Word was made flesh, and it dwelt amongst us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. How many lords of glory are there? Colossians 2 and 9, for in him dwelleth all. Does the word all leave any room for less or more? Either Scripture is incorrect or we have been taught something that was not correct. For in him dwelleth all the fullness. This is the whole purpose. Why do we study the Old Covenant? Because the New Testament, I'm sorry to tell you this, it's been Americanized through Roman gods, one step removed from... This is why you're seeing all the churches go back into the mother. This is why the Pope is becoming more important all the time. Because if you don't believe what the Word is speaking, and go back to Jerusalem, and you go back to Rome, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 1 and 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And I know I've taken too much of your time. So we will close with this for our next lesson with this slide. So why does the tabernacle begin first by building the ark? Because it begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them and just as God was already in existence before the physical realm was seen he makes them a place where he can sit before they build a physical realm that they can see so I know some of this is going to definitely challenge some of our upbringings and some of our thought processes and what you'll find out is it's just like when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I spoke in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. And I'm an old Missouri boy raised in law enforcement married to the daughter of an ex-FBI agent and I didn't believe in anything I couldn't see and I really had to struggle to receive the Holy Spirit because I couldn't get me out of the way. But when it happened to me and then God began to illuminate And this is the purpose of the Holy Ghost is to lead and guide us into all truth and then empower us to be His witnesses. And so I've had the pleasure now for 33 years to speak to congregations, audiences, people, hospitals and rooms, prisoners, to share with them who Jesus is. He is the visible image of the mighty God. And His love is so awesome for you that you could never never comprehend a God that fills a universe and so that soul that he placed in you out of his own that he breathed into you when he came to save that that was lost the only way he could even begin to get you into this realm to sit with him in heavenly places is that he himself partook of flesh and blood that you could understand and have a personal savior I hope something in this lesson as we study the typologies will endear you even in a greater capacity in faith to your King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God bless.